Resistance, burnout, procrastination, sleepless nights, stress, and painful hard work. Fatigued from running on the high achiever hamster wheel? This is the Bold Leadership Revolution, where we develop high-performing leaders to live, thrive, and lead bold and smart, not hard. Here is your host, Tara Newman. Hey, hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be here today with Nicole Jackson Miller. And Nicole is a founding member of the Brave Society, and she is the CEO and owner of the Project Designer. And I'm going to let her, but she just off mic shared with me what she does in such a brilliant way. I want you to hear it just from Nicole without me butchering it. So Nicole, I'm passing the mic to you proverbially. And do you tell us what you do over the Project Designer? Thank you, Tara, for having me. So at the Project Designer, we help service-based business owners with their people. We help them hire, we help them manage, and we help them lead their teams. Um, And we have a huge focus in helping business owners do more of what they love to be doing. A lot of business owners that come to us, they've gotten a lot of um, success with a particular craft and a particular way of doing business. And have sometimes lost themselves along the way. So we help them get clear on what it is that they really want to be offering and how they want to be showing up in the world. And then we help them build a support system around that. So needed. So needed. And the conversation that I actually want to have with you today that I was I was sharing that when I met Nicole and I started having more conversations with Nicole, she really um, helped me understand project managed the project management skill set. And if I'd say like there's one insight that I have gained from Nicole that has really had a return on investment for me in my business is how I look at project management within my business and the project management skills that my team needs to have. And I think that this gets very overlooked both in brick and mortar type of businesses because everybody defaults either to assistance or um individual level contributors, but they don't really think about how the flow of work is happening and the project, how you manage a project. And I think in the online space, we hear a lot about virtual assistants and OBMs. Uh, thanks to the book Traction, we now hear a lot about, in, in both spaces, we hear a lot about integrators. So I want to ask you, Nicole, can you give us the bullet points on What is an assistant? What is an online business manager? What do you see as an integrator? And what is a project manager? Like help us determine the difference between them all. Yeah. So a virtual assistant, and I will start by saying that there are there there's no licensure for any of this. So my definitions may vary from other people's. Um, So I'm going to talk about this in the terms of what I know and what I use with my clients. And you may have heard of other things out there. So Virtual assistant is traditionally somebody who is working in your business that is implementing. So they are being given a list of things to do and they are taking action on those things. So an example of somebody who's an assistant, maybe if you have um, you know, an, an office and you have somebody who's answering the phones, you have somebody who's filing papers, you have somebody who is um, you know, greeting your customers when they walk in the door. Um, in the online space, perhaps you have an assi- you could have an assistant help you with social media posts. So 
you would tell them, you know, what goes on the graphics, you may have templates for them, they're putting the copy on those graphics and posting them. But it's very much um, the person who's managing the assistant telling them what to do, and for them to be going and implementing that. For online business managers, um, usually there's an aspect of management and implementation. So online business managers, um, which are also referred to as OBMs, um, will come in and usually oversee the day-to-day operations of a business. So they'll understand what processes you have in place. What are those repeatable things that happen every day for you to run your business? And then they may be responsible for implementing some of those things. Generally, from my perspective, a manager is somebody who is overseeing, delegating, and managing people to do the implementation. Online business manager, even though they have manager in their title, is doing the management, but may also be responsible for some implementation as well. Um, And then for a project manager, a project manager comes in and it's not necessarily You may have a project manager work on some business operations, but a lot of times they're coming in for helping with new projects or projects that have a start and an end date. And they come in and they understand what it is that you want to accomplish. They put together a timeline for that and then manage the people to make sure that what's happening in the business is actually getting implemented. And traditionally, they're not if, if you hire in a project manager, they're not also implementing, they're overseeing people who are implementing. Um, and then integrator, I just had a really interesting conversation about the term integrator on Instagram. Um, the integrator, from my perspective, is somebody, this was, this was, I guess, originally developed by the gentleman who wrote Traction. What is yeah, his Gino Wickman. Yeah, yeah. So in his book, there are the two roles that he describes are visionary and integrator, um, one of the two roles. So visionary is somebody who has all of these ideas and is brainstorming and is in like this creative function in the business. And then, and typically this is the um, business owner. um, And then they work with an integrator who's the person responsible for making sure that the right things get actually executed. So the integrator from my perspective is somebody who is at a high level in the business and they're almost functioning as a chief operating officer or a director Mm -hmm. of operations and they have a team to do the implementation. They are not implementing. And I think this is, um, with a lot of these terms, um, there's been a lot of misunderstanding in what these things actually are and who needs these different roles and when. Um, So yeah, so that's kind of, from my like perspective, what each of those roles does. All right. Well, you brought up an interesting point when you started this off and you said there's no licensure. Do you think there should be? I don't think so. No. Um, I don't think I prefer things usually (laughs) to be less regulated, but I do think that there needs to be communication and, and managing people's expectations. So I think that the most important thing titles aside is that you understand what it is that you need and you're able to communicate that. And that the person that you're talking to, regardless of what their role is, understands what you need, communicates what they do, and you come to an agreement that they're able to help you with what you need. Um, That is the most important thing. I don't, 
I don't necessarily believe that it should be regulated. Yeah, I was just curious because you specified it. So I was like, huh. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, But, and then the other thing, I mean, I see certification courses popping up all over the place to certify people as VAs or OBMs and, and, and things like that. Um, that like it seems to go beyond training that like now they're certified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, so it's interesting because I actually have a project manager training course. It is not a certification. I think that it's, I, so depending on how the certification is run, I think it's important for people to be able to learn the skill set. Impl- implement it with a client and be able to have a mentor to support them in doing that. Um, and if the certification is, is, if that's what the certification is, and that's great. I, the, one of the reasons why I haven't done a certification for project managers is because uh, my focus right now isn't on mentoring and like setting all of that up for, for students to be on client projects and then be mentoring them. I think that there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that a um, an effective certification does that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, cur- it's, it's interesting because I hear sometimes, you know, someone will say to me, they'll say, Oh, you know, I, I want to start a business, but I don't really know what to do. So I Googled it <laughs> yeah. and it says that I should be a VA. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I'm like, last time I checked, you don't really know how to use like Gmail. Right. Calendar. Well, I think there's so much marketing out there that says like, you could make like a gazillion dollars, like leave your job. And, and I think that that could totally be true. And there's so many different ways to get there. And well, I've, I've had a few friends reach out to me saying like, do you think I should be a project manager? And the first thing that I'll say is, you know, what actually lights you up? What do you like doing? What do you like doing? What's, what are your strengths out of everything that you've done, even if it hasn't been, you know, in whatever space you're trying to get into? Like, what are those, what are the similarities? And then build something around that, not necessarily like what everyone else is saying that you should be doing. Yeah. I mean, the other, on the other, um, thing that I hear in the, from the online space is that virtual help has become too cost, too costly at this point. Mm. What, what are your thoughts on that? Let's chat. Yeah. So I don't think that that's true necessarily. I think it's just who you're working with and it has to, um, and it has, it has to, it has to work for you and there needs to be conversations around that. I mean, I think having virtual support, um, it opens us up to a lot of other um, options that aren't necessarily available to us if we were to look for an in-person person. person. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, there, there are a lot of, um, of different options when it comes to like where somebody's living and what people want to be making inside of their business and what's important to them and like what their situation is. And so I, I definitely, I don't, I don't necessarily, I'd be interested in diving more into that, but I don't necessarily agree. I don't think that that's true. I think they're they're talking about like how some of the some some virtual support, you know, wants, you know, maybe like upwards of forty or fifty thousand dollars up fifty dollars an hour, and then people automatically calculate that by twenty eighty. And they're like, oh, this position isn't worth a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, but you're not paying them a hundred thousand dollars because they're not oh, worth it. Got it. 
I see what you're saying. 2080 and, you know, 2080 hours a year in your business, which would be like full-time employment, right? So like I used to do compensation. One of that used to be a hat that I used to wear in corporate was that I was responsible for um, compensation, not workers' compensation. I always have to, because people are like, workers' comp? I'm like, no, like actual paying employees, determining their value, what they're worth, like the ranges, the job descriptions, benchmarking. Yeah. It's very statistical in corporate. I kind of would say, like, I would draw the line at at um, regression analysis. I'd be like, listen, if we have to get into regression analysis, I think we've taken this too far. Yeah. Some big companies will. They'll, like, start in with even looking at a regression analysis. And, you know, so I think, you know, they're saying that, you know, they're, they're equating $50 an hour mm-hmm. to um, to a full-time work week. But that's the benefit of of a virtual, a virtual help mm-hmm. is that you don't have to hire them or a contractor. You don't have to hire them for full time. You're mm-hmm. sharing their shared service right. between you and other businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that it's necessarily a fair comparison to compare somebody's like employed hourly rate to some, to a contractor's hourly rate. Um, and what, I mean, when I look at, you know, bringing in support in my business, what I'm looking at is, you know, what is this person working on? What is the investment in this? What is the return that I'm expecting? And when am I expecting it? And do I believe that this person can get me to this? And do I believe that I'm available to be able to, um, usually it's like a joint effort to get to a goal that I hire out for. Um, so I don't like, I think it would be a completely different conversation if I'm like, okay, you know what? I so this is interesting because with project management, you know, we would for a project like we would charge anywhere from, you know, $2,000 to $3,900 a month for projects depending on their capacity. And there's a lot of business owners that we worked with that if they had three projects going on, that wasn't going to be doable for them. But we also weren't employees like I had plenty of conversations with clients where I'm like, I think you need somebody full time. And I think it's actually going to be better for you and a better investment based on where your business is and your revenue and the projects that you have going on. So I just think that it's a, I don't necessarily think that it's a fair comparison. Yeah. I think to, um, a couple of things. So in corporate compensation, you know, it always came down to what the business could afford. Mm-hmm. Like the benchmarks could say one thing, the survey data can say another thing. And then you actually have the actual data of like the people's resumes that you were getting through the door. Right. And then it was, well, what can we afford? Yep. And then, then as an organization, we had to make a choice whether or not we were going to, um, maybe what we could afford was only, you know, a certain percentile of this range. And like, we knew we weren't going to pay the most competitively for this job. Yeah. And so what we would often do is we would say, okay, here are the jobs that are our bread and butter. Like if we don't have these jobs, we can't, we can't, we don't have a business. Yeah. It's prioritizing the hires. And so, and so they would get, you know, they would be paid at a different percentile Mm -hmm. than maybe um, like administrative functions where there were a gazillion, you know, executive assistants, you know, 
supply and demand almost versus a very rare engineer with a specialty that we need to make our product. Right. You know, and so we had to look at it that way. And at any point, any business owner could, it's their choice to just decide what they can afford. And you can always find support that might be less money. Maybe they don't have as many years of experience, you know, but you're making, you know, you're making that trade-off. Absolutely. And I like the the point about trade-offs because, you know, sometimes we would be talking with clients and they wanted to be doing five, five projects at one time. And when we had a conversation about the strategy and what the return was on each project, and because it would usually be around like, I don't know if we can like afford you to manage all five projects. And it's like, well, you actually shouldn't be doing all five projects. You should probably be doing one. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's, there's a trade-off there. And also, of course, like there's always other people that are available that, you know, just because one person um, may not be a great fit financially, there are plenty of other people that could be. And, and then again, that's also, I think, a benefit of hiring virtually is that you have even more options. Yeah. I think that when people you know, come into making these decisions. They don't come into making these decisions from a place of possibility either. Mm. So like what's possible for you if you do hire the person who has more experience and they are more money, mm-hmm. like what more could you get off your, your desk? Yep. What more could you offload, you know, and really looking at where, you know, what their price is compa- in comparison to what your, your hours are worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with, with my clients, cause we, I help a lot with hiring and hiring strategy. We take a look at, you know, we take a look at this, but also we put a timeline to it too. So it's like, okay, do you like in three months, like let's bring on this person and decide like, how long will we give this, um, exp- this, um, opportunity, this person to like experience a result that will make you know that the investment is worth it. And so we'll take a look at like, okay, is that three months? Is that six months? What does that look like financially? And then it gives people a nice checkpoint to, to, to be able to review and reflect and think about, okay, like now that I've done this for three months, I can actually see like, this is what's off my lap. This is what I'm able to focus on. And I'm so glad or not. And then you can make another choice. I think sometimes when people are hiring, they think, oh, I'm going to bring on this role and it's like a forever thing. And then they get freaked out. About yes. It. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> yeah. Start small. Yeah. Start small and like put a container on it. Experiment, like- you know, this is like experiment with it. See how, see how it goes. Like put some, you know, um, like, what are your results? What are your goals? Put it on a piece of paper and see if in three months, like you're there. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of people don't understand how, uh, you will get a return on your investment Mm. when you, when you invest in team. And that was something that took a little bit even for me to figure out in my own business through trial and error, but I wasn't going to figure it out by taking no action. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Like you have to get clear on, on what makes you money mm-hmm. and how that relates to you making money. I think too, like for me, when I give um, advice, I'm, I always say, don't pass the trash. 
<laughs> like if you're not, <laughs> if this is a task that doesn't add value, don't give it to somebody. Don't pay yeah. someone to not add value. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like don't do the task. Delete mm -hmm. before you delegate. Yes. Yeah. And that, I mean, absolutely. And that's, you know, a lot, the first step that I do with, with clients is talk about like when we put together a hiring strategy, it's like, so what are you doing? Like, what are you offering? Um, who is your ideal client? Like, what is it that you could do? Like, what is it that's actually within your zone of genius? What is not? And really take a look at those things because, you know, a team is not going to fix a broken business. It's not going to fix something that's already not working. Um, and, and it's the same thing with the tasks that you just described. It's not going to, it, it, I think that that's where like, again, the expectations are out of whack a little bit, which is why I also like for people to write down what is it that they feel like they need support with. And I think that when writing this out and it can go into a job post, but I think first it's for the business owner, whoever the hiring manager is to say like, what is it that we actually need and why, and why is this important? And what is this contributing to? And this is in small businesses, but big businesses too. Like I worked in, in lar at larger companies and there'd be a ton of stuff that we were doing that was completely inefficient. And then more, we were more in bigger companies because you have more room to hide it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because you know, there's just so many people. And, yeah. and so, and then, you know, and you get stuck in your way of doing things and it's like, well, it's always going to be this way. And this is just how we do it. And it's harder to make change. I mean, for some companies. And so um, but like really be thoughtful when you're, you're bringing someone else in and get clear on what is it that you want to do and why. And like, and that's where you'll start to get a little bit more clear on the return. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think some, some hires are, it's a lot more easy to identify the return. You know, mm -hmm. when you hire someone to come in and manage your marketing, like, okay, well, there we're bringing new people in and eventually there will be, you know, additional business or better business or whatever. Um, and there's other roles where the ROI might not be as clear as far as having maybe a personal assistant or an admin assistant um, or somebody helping with, you know, operations that's not necessarily immediately contributing to revenue. And so um, I think when you're able to get clear on what you want to delegate out and the, the reason behind it and what it will allow you, your company to do becomes a little bit clearer to see. Yeah. I think, I think people are just, even with a, with a personal assistant or, you know, a VA or whatever you want to call them, I just think people aren't looking at it through the right lens. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, the way I look at it, I just wanted to share with everybody. Um, I believe one thing that will break a business is poor, a poor customer experience. So I think one of the reasons, you know, we can, we can curse Amazon for being a big, big behemoth all we want. Um, and for putting main street and mom and pop businesses out of, out of business. However, one thing that they do really well, which is what's attracting so many people is their customer experience, mm -hmm. you know, their customer service. And so when I have somebody working in my business, anyone, um, it is all about how they are helping provide a specific and unique customer experience and client experience in my business. And when I know that I provide um, 
world-class experience in my business for my customers and my clients, they come back, they buy again, they refer. If they, if they leave for whatever reason, you know, they, they don't, they they may not be gone for long and they'll want to work with us again. And it's all about how we have a value in, in, at the bold leadership revolution that people are important. Mm. And so, you know, my team's first and foremost job is to make sure that every person we come in contact with feels important. Mm. And that's how we get an ROI. So a person could be scheduling my calendar or in my inbox, but it's how they're responding to the customer. It's how they're scheduling clients on my calendar that makes such a huge difference in people feeling like they're important. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, and I think that that's often overlooked and, and I even know from my buying experience, being a customer, it's sometimes like the smallest things that make the world of difference, like scheduling, like a response, like, you know, Hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes it's the smallest thing. And so when you can identify and get really clear on that and be able to then communicate to, to your team, you're such a good leader, Tara. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> but then the team's clear, right? They know what their priority is too. And it helps with hiring and everything else. So I love that. Yeah. That's like, that's in my mind. It took me a while to get there in my own business. It's sometimes easier to see it in somebody else's business. But for me, I had to really get clear. It's because it's very easy to feel like there's no ROI. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're answering emails. Email is such a waste of time. It's such a, you know, it's such a non-value added task. Or anyone could do that. Right. And it's, it's untrue, actually. It's untrue for me. That's my belief. Um, You know, I wanted to talk a little bit because, you know, depending on the size business you are, you might not have room for all the positions that we initially spoke about, like the VA versus the OBM versus a project manager, an integrator. Like, but I think what's, what I, like I said in the beginning, what I took away from you is really understanding that anyone who has project management skills mm-hmm. is a real valuable asset in your business. Yes. So can we talk about like, what is in your mind, the project manager skill set so that people can identify some of these skills and maybe the people they already have, or maybe they're going to be hiring. Yeah. So, so for project management skills, um, I'll name a few. I mean, if you're wanting to do anything in your business, a new project, um, your job as the leader is to, is to be clear on what that is. And if you're not clear, it's fine to brainstorm with your team, but ultimately you are the deciding factor on what happens and what's implemented and executed inside of your business. And so a project manager or anyone who has project management skills can see where it is that you want to go and work with you to put together a project Plan, which is which is a basically what has to get done, what's the time frame, and who do we need to do it? So it's um, I will say that it is easier to be able to see the big picture when you have a little bit of space, and so that's sometimes why when people have virtual assistants, especially if they're overloaded, um, they may not be great 
um, project, I call them project partners. Oh, um, okay, good. Yeah. And, and I think that that's actually, um, the word that's really important is the partnership because you'll want, no matter what the role is in the business, you want somebody who's able to sit at the table with you, understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish, um, have a voice and be able to brainstorm with you and then help you execute it. And so I think that that's a really, that's a really important piece. If you are, if you want to have people that are on your team that have project management skills, that's one of those things. Um, so make sure that they have the ability to partner with you. Um, and the second piece is, um, you know, being able to get it done. And so this can be communication with you and understanding what your needs are. And maybe, and I, I like when people say no to me more than when they say, (laughs) (laughs) right. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, I have this whole, I did a Facebook live on like why your clients aren't paying you to say yes. Like, I don't want somebody to say yes to me. Like I love hearing no, because it makes me think and it, and, and I want to know why. And it's like, oh my gosh, you've really thought about this. And you also have like, you know, the courage to say it too. And so somebody who has the ability to say no, bring up new ideas and then being able to get it done, which, you know, maybe depending on what role this is on your team, maybe they are doing a little bit of implementing, but they're also able to see the end and be able to talk to people to be able to get it done. And I think that that's a huge skill set of a project manager is communication and being able to understand who are my other partners on this project, what are they doing and how can we work together in order to get this done? And it requires communication. All right. So I just jotted down some competencies that I heard you saying that I'm going to repeat back and you tell me if I've, I've heard this correct. Yep. So um, they need to have some planning skills, the ability to plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need relational skills, the ability to have or be in relationship, partner with somebody. Yeah. Uh, they need follow through communication skills. I would add this is like written and oral and like all the communication skills, like multiple, multiple methods of communicating. Um, I heard critical thinking. Um, I heard confidence in there as well. I know that I have certainly had my experience with working with people who um, have shaky confidence and that's always been an issue uh, for me. And then I'm going to add one. I'm going to add that you didn't exactly say this, but I'm going to add it dealing with ambiguity. So that ability to be resourceful Mm -hmm. and be able to take action, even though you don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say that part of that is that Part of that is the person and part of that is the leader um, giving their team permission to, um, to do their work and to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a whole other podcast lot, lady. <laughs> right. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of people on teams who are scared to do anything because they're constantly questioned or micromanaged and. And so I think part of it is, you know, something that's environmental and, and then absolutely, then they need to be able to come to the table and say like, listen, I've considered, you know, these five things and this is how we need to move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So last kind of question for you before we wrap up and maybe it's the second to last. So 
if someone was looking to hire, um, let's just say they're looking to hire someone with, with project management skills, what would be like the one question you would ask to know if they had some of these competencies? What's your favorite question to ask on an interview? My favorite question to ask, um, and this could be in an, yeah, and this could be either in an interview or an application is like, describe a situation that has come up for you in the past where you feel like project management has failed or that something was not done correctly or wouldn't have been great to have a project manager on the team when we did this, like actually describe the situation and ask them how they would handle that situation. Um, because I think there's usually a lot of question when you're going into hiring, like, Ooh, well, I don't know if this person can handle this and can they handle that? And can they handle this? Like what I like, I like to give somebody an example of a project that, um, it's really helpful if there were some problems that happened with the project that made it complicated and ask that person how they would handle that and mm -hmm. what order so that you can actually see like, okay, do they talk about planning? Do they talk about people skills? Do they talk about communication? Do they have critical thinking? Cause you're really there with them as they're thinking through it. Yeah. I love those. And, um, I love the, if you, I just want to say what you did. So they understand, so everybody understands who's listening to this podcast, uh, describe a situation. Tell me about a time when, right? These are open-ended questions that you can ask somebody because when you are interviewing, it is your job to listen more than you're talking. So one of the big mistakes that I used to see, um, specifically when I was doing this in corporate was that the manager would show up and they would go on and on and on about the position and what they're looking for and what the skills are. And then when the, they're like, now tell us about you. And basically <laughs> they just get parroted back everything they just said. So of course they have the perfect candidate in front of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So you just, you kind of, kind of want to do some listening. You want to ask some open-ended questions. You want to get a really good feel for the person, not just their knowledge, but like the, their energy and, and their um, beliefs and things like that. And of course, it's important for them to know more about uh, your company and you and, and those things. But I would let them talk first. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And when, and when they describe back to you, I always like to listen for how, how they think through it themselves. And then what conversations they have with people. And I also like to know how they communicate back to the business owner or back to their manager, depending on the business that you're in and the team structure. Because if I'm hiring someone into my business, I want to know if there's a problem, how they're going to handle it with my team. But I also want to know how they're going to talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. when are you going to reach out? Right. And so um, when you're interviewing, I think it's helpful to get really clear on how you want to be managed and how you want to be communicated to. And I think, you know, part of it when you bring on a new hire is explaining that to them so that you set them up for success. But I also think that it's, there's areas that you can listen for in the interview and in their responses to these open-ended questions that can make you realize like, Ooh, this person would be great for me because they said that they, they would update me. And I really like updates or mm, this person might not because they said that they would ask me like a gazillion questions before they would take any action. Yeah. 
All right. Last question for you. Okay. Because I always like people to walk away with an action step that they can take or, you know, what would, in terms of having team, right, or hiring on team, what is your one action step that's small that people could go right now and implement to help them take one step closer to where they want to be? When it comes to team and hiring? Uh Um, So what I would love for people to do is I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to write down right now all of the things that you are responsible for inside of your business or if you work inside of a business, what you're currently responsible for. And then I want you to rate them in three areas. One, your experience and your skill set, scale of one to three, with three being the best. So if you are currently loading emails into an email marketing system and you mess it up every time, that would be a one <laughs> for your skill level. The second piece is um, affective. So this is your preferences. Do you like it? Is it something that lights you up? Does it bring you joy? Do you value it? And then the third is measured against how you naturally take action. So this is, and we didn't talk about Colby today, but this is based on, um, if you have taken your Colby, you'll know that there are certain ways that you instinctively take action. And how does this measure up against that? And if you have not taken your Colby, just take that off the table and just do the first two. Mm -hmm. Measure all of these things between one and three and figure out what are the things that you aren't really skilled at, what you don't really like. And again, if you've taken your Colby, what doesn't naturally match your, um, they call it conative part of the mind, which is the way you instinctively take action. And I would highly recommend that that be the next thing that you delegate out either to your current team, if you have one, or to somebody that you can bring on your team. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming by, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Now, if this conversation was interesting to you and felt unique and a little different, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take me up on my invitation to join the Brave Society. So if you're a female small business owner, this is likely your community. If you're resonating with this podcast and the things we're talking about over here, because they are very much the essence of how we talk about things in the Brave Society. The Brave Society was founded on three basic principles. One, community. How can we come together and become a marketplace of business owners where we can do business together, where we can open doors for each other, where we can collaborate with like-minded, credible business owners? Two, Nobody should ever shortchange their leadership development. I see too many times women spread thin making investments in their businesses as they grow and shortchanging their leadership development. And I'm here to solve that problem. You can make the investments that you need to make and say your marketing or uh, your branding or your website and develop yourself as a leader. And the third thing that we come together for is to really stand at the pinnacle of our leadership, which John Maxwell talks a lot about in his work. And he says that we're at the pinnacle of our leadership when we are a leader who develops leaders who develops leaders. And what I ask the women of the Brave Society to do is to take what they learn in the Brave Society and bring it into the world, into their communities, into their families, into their to their clients and their, their customers, and to really continue to develop more leaders on this planet. 
If this sounds interesting to you, I want you to go over to the show notes and click on the link, or you can come find me on Instagram. I'm at the Tara Newman and ask me any questions you need to about joining the Brave Society. If you've found this podcast valuable, help us develop more bold leaders in the world by sharing this episode with your friends, colleagues, and other bold leaders. Also, if you haven't done so already, please leave a review. I consider reviews like podcast currency, and it's the one thing you can do to help us out here at the Bold Leadership Revolution HQ. We would be so grateful for it. Special thanks goes to Stacey Harris from Uncommonly More, who is the producer and editor of this podcast. Go check them out for all your digital marketing and content creation needs. Be sure to tune into the next episode to help you embrace your ambition and leave the grind behind. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold Leadership Revolution podcast. This episode has ended, but our work continues online. Head over to theboldleadershiprevolution.com where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you lead bold. That's theboldleadershiprevolution.com.